Well, good morning, good day. Those of you who are here in person or online, we're so glad that you're with us. Isn't it so good to gather together? I mean, there's something amazing when we come together. God is on the move. God is speaking to our hearts, and God is moving us forward. I love that, that God is not stagnant. God is a God who moves. God is a God who moves, and he's continuing to move in the service. I believe it with all my heart. I sense it in my spirit that God has got something for us. God has got something that we've been stewing on for a while, and I believe that God's going to move the rocks for us so that we can see a clear and straight path ahead of us. That is the God we serve. It's a God who leads us forward. So as we get into the word this morning, let's allow God to keep helping us move forward in him. And in order for us to do that well, we got to posture our hearts. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Thank you, Lord, that you've already opened up our hearts in this time of worship, Lord. But now we're asking for you to plant your good word in our hearts, that it would it would grow in us, Lord God, that we would not refuse it. We would not, re- we would not try to steer from it, God, that, but we would plant it deep in us, Lord. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, we are kicking off a new series titled Unstuck. Unstuck. I wanted to, uh, yeah, there's some laughs in the room here when you hear that word, unstuck. You know, I wanted to kick off this, uh, this morning's talk with with a personal story, a real personal story about a moment in my life, a season in my life where, where I felt stuck, felt stuck where I was at. You know, one of the major shifts in my life occurred when it was in my early 20s. Because in my early 20s, there was a lot going on in my life. There was a lot of changes. I can say that it was probably the first time that I really felt like an adult. Like, that's really when, when life really changed for me. I moved out of on my own. I got married in my early 20s, so, so here I was now a husband and a provider for my home and, um, you know, just all these challenges, that changes that I had to, to do. And it was also the early start of my, of my time in ministry. I, I was a youth pastor in this really small church not too far from here in Sumner, Washington. It was a really small church that, that wasn't able to afford to, uh, to pay me a salary, so I had to look for work outside of the church. So I was doing that during the day or during the evenings, and then I would go and I would serve the church as much as I could. So that was kind of my mode of life. Lots of changes, you can imagine. There was lots of shifting happening in my life, personally, and in ministry. Well, in this job change, now, I went from uh, a sales job that I really liked to trying to find a job that was more practical, able to pay my expenses, add some benefits to my family. And so I got this job as an elementary school custodian. Okay, This was a big shift for me to change from that to going somewhere that, that, that I was like, well, I don't know if I could do this, but it just was right. It, it worked out all the expenses and, like I said, the benefits. And, and it was a school not too far from here, Evergreen Heights Elementary. And... Um, and I remember when, you know, I started working there, um, you know, I, I went in there gung-ho, ready to, ready to change the world, one toilet at a time, you know. <laughs> Wasn't glamorous at all. It was a bit frustrating, discouraging at times, felt very mundane. And I felt very underappreciated, you know, because every, every night I would leave that job, I would leave, and, uh, and I would leave it sparkling clean. You know, I took a lot of pride in what I did. Every, every floor I vacuumed, every, every tile floor I mopped, you know, everything I cleaned, I just felt really good about. I walked away, and then I would show up the next day in the afternoon, and it would just be all demolished because of the hundreds of kids that would go through that building. 
And I, I always described it, I felt like I was building sandcastles. You know, you ever build a really cool sandcastle and then the next day it's just gone? That's how I felt every single day. And it started to wear on me a bit. To say the least, I started to not enjoy the job so much. I was doing the work, but there was just something in me that started, and it started to, to translate in all the different areas of my life because I started just to, to feel down about it. I felt discouraged. I felt stuck. I wasn't sure what the next steps were going to be. I just was trying to be obedient, trying to be faithful to what God's put in front of me. But, but man, all this was just weighing on me, and I just felt so stuck, so in the in-between. I didn't see a way out of it. I mean, I had bills to pay, you know, I, 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 which meant that I had to put other things on the back burner. And so I didn't know what to do. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever had an experience where you just felt stuck in life? Or maybe it wasn't with a job or career choice, but maybe it was in your spirit. Maybe it was in your walk with the Lord. Maybe, I mean, it could be a, a number of things, but you ever felt like you're just stuck, that you're just stuck in a rut? I mean, there's nothing worse than feeling stuck, feeling like you just can't move forward, that you're just spinning your wheels as hard as you can, but it doesn't seem like you're going anywhere. My question this morning is, what do we do in seasons like that? How do we handle that? How do we continue to keep the momentum and, and keep wanting to move forward and get over the hump when you feel stuck? Here's what I think. I think most of the times we live our lives in the in-betweens, in between of where you are in comparison to where you want to go. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with having dreams and, and goals for your life. I mean, those are, those are great. But sometimes we can be so future-minded that we rob ourselves of the blessing of the here and now. I see that a lot with people. And oftentimes, that is where uh, these feeling of being stuck comes from. And if we're not careful, what it would do is that it would dull our passion for life. It would, it would, it would start to distract us from our real life's purpose. So how do we change that? How do we make sure that we do not become stagnant, even in seasons where we feel like we're just not moving as fast as we want to move? How do we keep moving forward and live this full life that God has promised us to live? the life that God has called us to. How many believe that, that God has called us for a full life? He says that he gave us life, life more abundant. And that's what this series is going to be all about. But before we dive into this series and all the weeks to come, I, I just felt like before we do that, I want to build a foundation that I believe is critical to understand the context of everything that's going to be shared, everything that's going to be taught. There is a foundation that this is going to be built on. Every thought that we're going to give to you, everything that we're going to present to you today about how to get unstuck, it all has a foundation. And the foundation is this. We have to understand this first, is that God does not want something from you. He wants something for you. Okay, that we got to really understand that. And this is, this, is, this is what this means. So Romans 5, 6, many of us are familiar with this passage, with this verse here. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, what that tells us and that reminds us is that Jesus Christ, he died for us, not when we had life all together. Not when we were holy, not when we were good enough. No, it says that when we were powerless, when we were ungodly, when we were rebellious towards God, wanted nothing to do with him, it says that in that state, he loved us so much that he came down to rescue us. 
That's an important foundation to stand on. God is not waiting for us to get our lives together in order to earn favor with him. That's the good news, friends. I think that's going to set some people free this morning because some of you guys are living your lives in that, in that mode of just trying to earn favor with God, trying to earn God to love you more. And I'm going to tell you that God right now, where you're at, in the state that you're at right now, God is not going to love you any more, any less, and he loves you now. And if God can love me at my worst, wow, that's real unconditional love. I don't know if I can say that about much people. But my wife is closest to that. And there's times where I know I get on her nerves. Yet God loves you. You don't have to amen that, baby. (laughs) But I'm telling you, God loves us. This teaches us that he loves us unconditionally. And that's an important foundation to our theology, and I would also say to our psychology. I mean, literally, this is the way we're wired and built. I mean, from the day that we were born, everyone is wired to have this strong desire to feel loved, to feel secure, and to feel safe. I mean, an infant, an infant, it, it, it wants to be cared for, right? If you've ever been around an infant or a toddler, they, 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 they go towards those people that, that they know love them, care for them, and keep them safe, and that's usually mom and dad or, or their guardian. I mean, they know the person's taking care of them. They're saying, that's a safe person. They run to them. They want them near. I think that we all have this innate desire in our hearts to be loved unconditionally, to feel safe, to feel secure. And even though we mature in age, that need does not go away. So when we find that in Christ, when we know that through Christ, man, it changes us to finally feel that we are loved and accepted unconditionally through the love and the grace of God. So I just felt like before we go any further, this has to be our foundation. Because when I'm going to talk about things that we ought to do and things that we got to move forward into, sometimes we can just tap into our side of our brain that says that we got to do more for God to be pleased with us, to have favor with him. And I'm telling you that right now, where you're at, God loves you. God loves you. If you're watching today, God loves you. Wherever you find yourself today, God loves you. And that's great news, friends. But that is just the beginning. That is just the beginning. See, once we start to grasp this in our hearts and in our minds, then our natural response is to want to keep this relationship with God. And we understand really quickly through the gospel that there's something that gets in the way of that that separates us from that. And that is our sin. And when we recognize that God loves us in such a way that he loves us at our worst, that he loves us unconditionally, then we realize that there is something in the way, and that's sin. And so you want to you trust in God with that, with his saving work of his blood shed for us that washes our sins. And so we want to receive that gift of salvation, and, and we want this relationship to grow and to prosper, right? I mean, that's our response. So everything that we live from that day forward is coming in response to God's great love. That's why the gospel writer says this, is that we love him because he first loved us. That's the foundation, is that he loves us. He loves us. It starts with receiving God's love. I mean, imagine when a house is built. When a house is built, what is the first thing that has to be built? It's the foundation. But when the foundation is off, everything in the house is is, is, is not lined up, right? When the foundation is cracked, in the, then all of a sudden everything starts to shift. So this has to be our foundation, is God's unconditional love. And so God's plan for us is that we would first receive that love. So if you're watching today, this is the first time you're here, just know that God loves you. Yeah. Where you're at, how you are, God loves you. 
But then there's more to the story. That's just the beginning. There's more to the story. So what, what does the Bible tell us? Well, in Ephesians chapter 10, 12, or 10, or chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, 10, it says this, is for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we understand this is that God created us on purpose for a purpose. You hear me say that many times. And part of that purpose is to bring good into the world. We get to do that. God has prepared us for that. He wants us to move forward in that. Good works, let me tell you, they're like road signs. You know, when you're driving and you're going somewhere and you see this road sign that tells you how to get to the place you want to get to, well, that's what our good works are to the world. It is road signs to the world to show people how to find a destination. And what's their destination? To find a relationship with the Heavenly Father that we proclaim to have a relationship with. Our good works are road signs. They're not a way to earn our way up to heaven. They're road signs for people to see that there's, that there's a God in heaven who loves them and cares for them, and it's coming through our lives. So we don't do good things to earn God's love, but we do good things out of God's love for us and for others. And when we receive God's love, it's naturally our duty to give him it back, right? To love him, to know him. So God loves us. God loves you where you are, exactly in the condition that you find yourself in. He does. That's the truth. Yet, he loves you too much to keep you there. He loves you too much to keep you there. See, we're meant to grow. We're meant to build. We're meant to, to do these good works that God has called us to do, that he predestined for us to, to build our lives on, on, on his purposes, for his glory, not to better advance ourselves or our name, but his name and his kingdom. There's a plan. Like, that's so good to know that I don't have to wondrously figure this out, but that God has designed it for me. And in this relationship, he'll start to open it up for us as we keep following after him. We'll discover what, our, what his plans and his purposes are for our lives. And I believe that it's in that concept to fully understand it, to fully embrace that, to fully walk into that, is that we start to feel like, man, maybe I can use that as leverage to get unstuck in our life and in our faith. Because if not, friends, we'd constantly be waiting for something more. We're constantly waiting, to, and we wrestle with this feeling of being discontent of where we're at in this moment. But let me tell you, God has a plan and a purpose for where you're at today. And that's really what this series is starting off with, is that God has a plan for where you are today. Not just someday, but for today. So we're going to talk about this guy in the Bible that is very well known. And we're going to take some parts of his Bible where I believe that he was, he was stuck and God helped him get unstuck. And I believe that we're going to learn some lessons from this man's life to help us. This man is, is a man named Moses. Moses. Now, besides Jesus, Moses was probably the most well-known and most referred to person in the Bible. Whether you grew up in church or whether, or whether you're new to church, I'm sure you've heard a reference about this guy named Moses or the story of the great Exodus. You know, Moses was this brave man who one day stood in front of the most powerful person in the known world at the time, Pharaoh, and he, he echoed the words of God and said, let my people go. We know great things that he was part of where, where God used him to, to set the people free by, by doing these miraculous signs through him, these plagues that came and, and set the people free. We saw that he was a guy who brought down the Ten Commandments from the mountain. He met with God. We see the miracles that he was part of. We see that he, met, he, 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 he led hundreds of thousands of people through the wilderness. 
Yet this morning, we're going to go back to the very beginning, back to where it all started. See, what you got to understand about Moses and, and where his story starts is it, it starts in a time in the Hebrew history where they were enslaved to Egypt for 400 years. And after 400 years, the Hebrews... Their, their people, their numbers increased, and so Pharaoh felt threatened, and he felt like, hey, I can't let them grow to so much that they're powerful and they're going to leave. And so what he does is that he puts out a decree so that the Hebrew sons would be killed. Moses was born during that time. And to save her child, Moses' mom put him in a, in a basket. You know the story, right? And he, and he puts him in the basket. She puts him in the river so that he would be rescued, and Moses does get rescued. Who does he get rescued from? the royal family, or by the royal family, and they adopt him as their own. Moses is raised then in Pharaoh's palace, and he has access to all the great things in that known world, the best education, the best health care, I mean, everything. And so he grows up, and he's developing himself as a young man. He gets to this place where I believe that he has this question looming over his head. I think that there was this question he had to live with for most of his childhood into his young adult years where he's living in the palace of this, this family who's being kind to him and raising them like their own, but yet he understands that they're also the people that are enslaving his people and causing pain for the Hebrew people. And so Moses has to come to this term that when he becomes of age, who will he stand with? Will he stand with Pharaoh or will he stand with his people? Now, we don't know the exact moment of when Moses discovered that he was a Hebrew. But what we do know is that by the time he was a young man, he knew his origin story. He understood his privilege that he was living in, in the house of Pharaoh. And by the time we catch up to him in Exodus chapter 2, we see that he's aware of his identity and something stirs in him. That's what we're going to start with this morning. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So what we see in this moment is that something rises up in him. And maybe it built up over time where he started seeing all the abuse and the things that his people were going through and knowing that these are his people and something something stirred up. And I believe that it was this holy discontentment of the status quo. This holy discontentment, this righteous indignation, this thing inside of him that, that screamed justice. That something in him said, what I'm seeing is wrong and I can't just stand here and see it happen. I got to do something about it. See, his mistake is that he took this holy discontentment, which I believe was God-given. I believe this was part of his plan that God had for his life. But instead of recognizing it, being from God, he took it upon himself, and he wrapped his fleshly passion around it, and all of a sudden it turned into anger, and that anger turned into rage, and that rage turned into hatred, and hatred turned into violence. See, he had a righteous cause, but because he allowed it to be wrapped around his flesh, it turned into a destructive path. And he ends up doing the exact, exact same thing that he despised, and that was devaluing a life to the point of murder. So what does it say he did? He hid it. Verse 13 says, The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting, and one of them, asked, he asked the one that was in the wrong, he says, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? 
The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Oh, snap. (laughs) Whoa. He's like, somebody found out what I did, what I saw. He panics. It says, then Moses was afraid, and he thought, what I did must have been known. And this was before Twitter and Instagram. News got out. Eventually, if you keep reading, you see that Pharaoh caught wind of what happened. And at that time, Moses was long gone, fleeing Egypt. He goes to a place called Midian, and he tries to forget all about Egypt. He starts a new life. He gets married. He becomes a shepherd. I mean, think about what happened in his life. He, he goes from being the center of power in the palace, and all of a sudden now his life is he's out in the backwoods of the Middle East tending sheep. He's broken. He's bruised. He's scared. He had this holy discontentment, but because it came out in an unhealthy way, he feels like his life is now totally disqualified from ever getting involved in helping his people out. I think some of you have experienced that in life. I think some of us have. I think that God may have put something inside your heart many years ago, many years ago, and it put a fire in you. You got stirred up for a righteous cause, and, and you want to get involved. Maybe it was going on, on, on mission somewhere in a different country or whatever it is, but maybe there's just something where you're just like, man, I want to be involved, and it's, it, it caught you on fire. Yet maybe, maybe something happened, whether it was in your control or out of your control. Maybe it was something where you just, in, in your immaturity at the time, maybe something went wrong, and, and, and now you feel like, man, those days are long gone. Those days are over. Those days are long behind me. I, I missed my moment. I, I, I fumbled it when I, when I had the ball, and, and now I don't know if I'm ever going to get it back. I think there's many people that I know that feel that way right now, and they feel stuck. They're just like, then what do I do? Am I just sitting here? Am I just, am I just, just waiting now or just sitting around until Jesus comes back? You feel stuck. And that's where Moses found himself. You could say he was stuck whether he thought he was or not. He was stuck. Yet it was in this place that God finds him, or I should say he found God with him, and God restored him back. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Hebron, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, from within the bush. Moses saw through the, though the bush was not on fire, but didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this straight, this strange sight, why the bush did not burn up. Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I mean, there's so much in this. I mean, what an amazing moment for, for Moses. He's in the, like I said, he's like in the backwoods of the countryside. He's not expecting God to show up, but God shows up in a miraculous way. God shows up and he speaks to this man, this man who feels forgotten, feels stuck. And God shows up. Now, I was doing some research of some, some, uh, some, some ways that the rabbis, ancient rabbis would teach this story. And I caught a couple of things that they said that I thought was, was pretty insightful. See, when the ancient rabbis would teach on this, one of the things that they said is that when Moses showed up, when Moses saw the burning bush and he's approaching it and God tells him to take off his sandals because it's holy ground, it's not because that, that ground became holy, 
it's because he didn't recognize that it was holy. See, it was holy because God's presence was there. God's presence was always there. He just didn't recognize it until that moment. The rabbis also taught that there are burning bushes all around us, yet we lack the spiritual discernment to recognize when they're there. What do I mean by burning bushes? I mean these are spiritual signs that God does to kind of get our attention. I think there's moments in life where, where God's trying to get our attention, that he's trying to show us things in, in our everyday, normal, everyday, ordinary world. And he's trying to cause us to go and to listen and to be attentive to what he has for us, and yet we don't have the spiritual discernment to even notice him, and we just keep moving by. I believe that God is constantly calling out to us. He's constantly pointing out things to us. He's inviting us into different places and different spaces so that we could see him at work. And we're wondering, God, where are you? And we think he only shows up in these kind of gatherings. But I'm telling you, God is in the world. God is active. God is moving. God is in places that, you, that are ordinary. Are you looking? Are your eyes open? I believe the Holy Spirit can be present, but sometimes we just seem unaware. You know, I started out telling you a story about my journey of feeling stuck in a certain job that felt unfulfilling, felt frustrated and mundane. But what I didn't share is that actually it was that experience that actually propelled my faith like never before. It, it radically changed me in that season. See, when I began to do my job and give it to the Lord, no matter how I felt, no matter what task I had in front of me, I did it unto the Lord. I gave it to him. And I invited him into every aspect of my life. I said, God, you're going to be with me. I can't do this without you. I mean, I would call out to God everywhere I was because I was like, God, I need the strength because I, I just, I don't have it in me. And things started to change. Why? Because I started looking for burning bushes. Started looking for those things. And this is how, what started for me. I would go in the classrooms and I remember I would be vacuuming the desk. I'd be going up and down. And all of a sudden I just sensed that, man, I'm not alone in this. God's with me. I've been calling out to him. I've been talking to him. And it helped me to have some worship uh, music playing in my ears, you know, as I was working. And I started realizing, what an opportunity I have to be in these classrooms and start praying. So I would go up and down where the desks were, and I would lay hands on desks, and I would start praying. And what's cool is in elementary school, and they would have names on all the, all the desks, and I would even call these names out of these kids. I'd pray for their homes. I'd pray for the teachers. I, I, just started, I just started getting a heart for praying over that school every day. And, and, and just my time changed. And I was just was so full of like what God was doing. God would put things on my heart on what to pray for, for the teacher, for the class, and for the school. And it was like waking me up to something bigger than what I ever could imagine. And I remember doing that. And I think that it started to change my attitude every time I walk in there. I started having conversations with these teachers, and, and those conversations that were about life started turning into faith talks. I'd be talking in, to the Christian teachers. I was an encouragement to the ones that were non-believers. I became a friend, and they started talking to me, sharing things. I started praying for their needs. I mean, Misty and I started becoming really close friends with this community of people that we never would have opened our hearts to. We would just ignored it, but yet God was doing something. Students were helping me out every day, and I was talking and engaging with them. I started a prayer meeting every Wednesday morning in the school. See, I never, I, I no longer started feeling like just the custodian at that school. I started to feel like I was a pastor of the school. It was amazing what God started to do. Why? Because that school became holy ground to me. Why? Because I experienced the presence of God there.
I approached it in such a different way from that day forward. God used that place to teach me lessons, valuable lessons, lessons that I learned by doing these tasks that I think nobody else really wanted to do. Started rolling up my sleeve and started serving like never before. Who would have thought that that would have prepared me for the lifelong of ministry ahead of me? And I remember I learned a valuable lesson. It's not what I'm doing, rather how I'm doing it that really matters to God. And that opportunity for this to happen, it was always in front of me. It was always there. I just didn't see it. I was just not aware of it. But once I grasped that, once I saw that, and I stepped into it, then it made all the difference. See, my perspective was the one that changed. And God showed up every time in the most unlikely places. Have you discovered God in unlikely places? Have you given God that opportunity? Have you opened your eyes and realized that God can meet you anywhere, anytime? See, sometimes the unlikely places are the ordinary places of our everyday life. And we don't always are aware that that could be a spiritual moment. That could be a moment that God gets your attention, that God starts stirring you up for something that you've been waiting for. That we lack that spiritual discernment. We lack that, that, that anticipation. Let me tell you, God will meet you. So keep your eyes open for the burning bushes. God will meet you in the ordinary. Let's finish up and read this. Verse 6, he says, God said, I'm the God of your father, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid and looked at God to look at God. The Lord said, I indeed have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Listen to this. God's aware of it, but I love what God says here. He says, so I have come down to rescue them from the land, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing of milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I know I messed that up, but you got me here, right? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people of Israel out of Egypt. This is a big moment. God's telling him, he says, I have come down to rescue these people, and I am calling you to join me. You know, I wondered, every time I would read this story, I'd always wonder, I said, why him? Why Moses? Why now? I mean, here's a guy who was at the lowest point of his life. He was far disconnected from Egypt, but yet God still chose to use him. I used to think this was random because sometimes God uses the people that you least likely see him using, right? But when you look at his life, and, 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 and next week we're going to talk about his response to this because there's a lot in there as well. Today we're talking about the God's call. But we see, why did he choose Moses? Well, obvious answer is this, is that Moses was very acquainted with, with Egypt. He was a perfect person. He had the background and the life experience to understand both cultures. So, so that's probably why God used him. But I was really thinking, thinking hard about this this week, and I thought, man, it's because, whole, because Moses had this holy discontent around the plight of his people. He saw what was happening and he needed to do something about it. I believe that it's something that stirred in his heart long ago. And that's why God never forgot and God brought it back. Moses had this passion to see the freedom in his people. Yet he didn't handle it right the first time, did he? 
He thought he was disqualified from ever getting involved, but obviously that didn't leave him. But yet God was using the season that he was in to prepare him for the next season, the new one that he was getting brought into. I'm sure that there was many lessons that he was learning as he was tending the flock of his father-in-law's sheep, lessons that he looked to, that he gained wisdom from when he was leading God's people through the wilderness. But it's interesting to me that there's this dialogue happening between him and God. This is the Omar paraphrased version of it. I believe God's opening up Moses' heart again and saying, you know, the thing that burdened you, it burdens me, Moses. You know, the thing that you say is not right, the thing that you see that is wrong, that's how I feel about it, Moses. And I want to partner with you. I want you to join me in this, and I want to use you, and I want to work with you so that we can go and make a difference. I wonder if God's wanting to do that in you. I wonder if this is the season where God's going to stir some of you up to say this is the time that the thing that you've had in your heart for a long time, I feel that way. That's from me, and I want to help you, and I want to guide you to that so that we can do this together. This was never meant for you to go off on your own to do, but I'm here now. I want to walk you through this. I see this over and over and over again, not only through scripture, but in, in life examples. God wants to, when he wants to do something in the world, he partners with people who have this holy discontent around the very thing that he's asking them to do. A lot of times, man, we start off this way. We have this in our hearts, but then something in life happens. We make choices and they start to limit us on other things, and just through time and through life, we just feel like we're far from those days. And we just feel like those days are long gone. Maybe one day, some, one day I felt that way, but now I just I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and you just start to give up on that, and you feel so distant from that thing that God had in your heart long ago. And you feel stuck. You start to lose your passion and lose that heart for mission because you know in your heart, man, there's something more. When life leads you that way and you just feel like maybe it's through career choices or jobs or maybe you're looking at the season right now where God's calling you to just, you know, you're staying at home, you're raising your kids and you're just like, man, that's not the thing that I really was like thinking that I was going to lead my life into, but this is where I find myself and I don't know how to get past that. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in this season. Maybe I've lost something there. I'm saying that God wants to use this season. God is wanting to show you the burning bushes. God wants to show you right now you can be involved with the thing he stirred in your hearts that you can get unstuck if you just trust God and listen to him and let him stir you up in the right direction. God may be sending you burning bushes in places that you find ordinary. And he's going to use that holy discontent that you have in, in, in things that you see and that you want to partner up, and you just don't know how he's going to bring it about. But will you trust him during this season? I think God's going to raise you up during this season. Right now, during COVID, man, many of us feel stuck. Many of us feel like, man, I, I had momentum going into this year. Now it's the, almost the end of the year. I don't know what happened. I just feel stuck. I don't know how to keep going. I don't know how to build momentum. Will you trust God right now? As we go into this new season of our church, go new season of your life, new season in some of your careers, like will you just trust God that God is going to do something right now? He's going to show you these burning bushes. He's going to speak to you in ordinary places. Will you keep your eyes and your heart open for him? I believe that that's what God's wanting to do for all of us during this time. If you're here, we stand to your feet. I want us to take a moment. If you're here watching and praying, will you take a moment? Will you settle your heart down? I know that there's a lot of us in all different places, but I believe that God's going to meet you right where you're at. And I believe that there's some of you guys, you're just like, you're just 
you're just right on the verge, right on the verge of God really getting you over the edge, and you've just been waiting, and God's trying to tell you that you're exactly where you need to be right now. And you just need to get your heart in the right posture and your heart to be ready, to be soft, to be pliable, to say, God, here I am. Here I am. God's going to call your name. God's calling your name right now. He's brought you here on purpose. He set you up. All your life experience, all the places that you've been, all the things that you've learned, it all is for this moment, for this next season of your life. God wants to use you now, not just someday, but now. And I just want to just challenge you to just step forward, to say, here I am. Allow God to fill in all the gaps. Allow God to, to show you all the steps. But, but right now, he's just looking for people that are willing and open and available. And I just hope that I just am pastoring a church of people that are saying, yes, here I am, God. Use me. Here I am, ready. God, help me to see you in my everyday, ordinary things that I do so that I don't miss any opportunity that you're going to bring before me. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every heart right here, God, that is yielded and open to you, God. Hearts that are saying, God, I just feel stuck, Lord. I feel stagnant in my faith and in my relationships, Lord. And God, I know that there's something in my heart that gets stirred up when I hear something like this because I know there's more. I know you called me to more. And I pray, God, that these people, they don't get so, they don't get frustrated with that, but Lord, but now they get excited. They get opened up to you right now, God, that every heart will yield to you right now and say, God, here I am, use me. In my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, God, show me the places that you're working and help me now join you in that good work. Help me be courageous enough to step forward, to say what I need to say. Lord, maybe it just starts with prayer, Lord. I pray that there's just a heart of prayer over this church, over these people here, God, watching online. God, that they would go into their workplace, God, and they would trust you and say, God, they have a new approach. This is holy ground because I know that you're working in the lives of the people. You put me there on purpose. You put me in those places on purpose, God. Help me not to neglect that. Help me to steward it well for this season. So I pray that over every heart today, every person listening to this, ser- to this sermon, Lord, I pray that they would be ignited, God, that they would have a spark in them that would stir them up because you have so much more in store for them. So open our eyes this week. Help us see what you're doing. Help us see the work that you're doing all around us. And help us step forward into that good work. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Know that this is a big prayer meeting that we're having on November 3rd. Just a couple of days from now, we're going to be doing it in this room. We're going to have a time of worship and prayer. I hope you can join us. I hope if you can make it here for the hour, I'm telling you, you will not regret it. We need prayer. We need to keep our country in prayer. Amen. Well, I hope to see you here. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.